This is the Capness HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Capness. Hello, and welcome to the Capness HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Capness, and our guest today is Joshua Lawton. Jafra, are you ready to be great today? I'm always ready to be great. It's good to hear. Jafra is a recovering Trekkie. Well, I don't know if the thing is a recovering Trekkie. I think you always are. <laughs> Once and always. Yep. A full-time entrepreneur, lifelong investor, part-time writer, and once upon a time combat medic. He is currently co-founder. He's currently the co-founder and managing partner of Health Hat, a healthcare technology company that assists hospital networks and clinics quickly mitigate operational problems, therefore increasing revenue and patient satisfaction. He's an alum of both John Hopkins University and the Combe School of Business at the University of Texas Business, University of Texas Austin. That's quite an impressive double-double there, Josh Ford. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now I'd like to turn over to you and, and just talk about, you know, what, you, what actually is Health Hat or what are you working on? So that's a really great question. Um, Health Hat was started by both my partner and I on the idea uh, and the belief that the practice of medicine as a business is broken and flawed. So one of the things that people actually don't realize is that as hospitals get larger, uh, as they take on private practices, their costs actually go up. It's for a very important reason. It's the idea that the market actually constricts and becomes smaller as hospitals get larger. And therefore, there isn't as much access. The other part about that is most doctors, most nurses, most PAs, most individuals who get into the actual practice of medicine uh, are there because they really care about patients and because they care about helping individuals, not necessarily running a business. And so what we do is we grab the micro data, the data that uh, really lands on the floor, whether it's in pen, paper, uh, maybe sometimes Excel if they're lucky, and even the whiteboard. And what we do is we provide that data so that uh, apples to apples comparisons can occur so we can increase margins by increasing efficiencies. And so hospitals and clinics uh, make more money on their end. And so for you and I, we actually get a better level of care as patients. And so we do that through a data collection tool. And then we do that through analytics and a dashboard that's easily identifiable and understandable uh, by most individuals. And so that's what we do at Health Ad. Because most people, when you think of innovation, I mean, healthcare is not the first thing you think of, is it? I mean, no, it's uh, so funny enough, the average physician is 55 years old and has a fax machine, which also, I mean, assumes that they also have an AIM screen name and also an AOL.com account. Fax machine still works, I'm sure. I mean, it still serves a purpose, right? No, it does. It does. And, and look, that's, that's a little bit of a, a, you know, a joke. But in reality, the reason why they have that is not just because they don't understand emails and that kind of stuff, but also because Medicare and Medicaid, uh, and there's some requirements for them to have a, a fax machine. The reality is it's going the way of the dodo bird, but that really shows you how far uh, behind healthcare and healthcare advancement is in comparison to most other industries that you and I are probably familiar with. Now, you look at in the Austin area, is your business just in Austin right now? Or are you trying to take it statewide, nationwide? What's your, the master plan for you? Sure. I mean, the, the master plan is to, to, no matter what happens in Washington, D.C. with healthcare, uh, is to provide a, a great product that can go worldwide. Because really what we're focused on is operational data and how do you become more efficient. And so while our focus right now is on healthcare, 
the reality is, is that Lean Six Sigma and everything can actually be distributed to a much wider audience. So for us, focusing first on Texas is a sizable market. 54% of all uh, primary care physicians in Texas are actually uh, owning their own private practices versus the rest of the country that's actually a very high capita number. Uh, so we that within Texas alone, there's more than enough market for us to get over the chasm, as we say in the startup world, uh, and become a much larger, larger product. Yes. Now, you are, you're, you're, in your previous history, you're a combat medic. How did that combat medic background prepare you for this? Well, you know, being a combat medic is, is really this idea, and it's strange uh, in the civilian world because we're used to EMTs um, being able to do certain different things. Um, combat medics actually were the precursors to the physician assistants, individuals who can do surgeries, can do operations, can do pretty much everything that an MD who oversees them, uh, whether directly or indirectly, allows them to do. So as a combat medic, you, you get this unique experience of actually being a physician extender uh, and in many cases actually being the sole medical provider uh, and medical authority on the ground, while at the same time, you have to run clinics, whether it's back stateside in Europe uh, or even sometimes in combat. It's really understanding the holistic version of both providing care uh, and also provisioning the business of care, which is something that in general, in the civilian world, most people start off, they want to become an EMT or a, a CNA or an RN. That's what they focus on first. And they never really actually get into the business of uh, healthcare and medicine until much, much later in their careers, if at all. So I'm going to kind of be on the spot here. What school is tougher? John Hopkins or McCombs? <laughs> what was tougher and what was the funner place to be? Oh, so most, most definitely the, the, the more fun place to be was uh, McCombs School of Business. Okay. Um, the camaraderie at, at University of Texas at Austin uh, far exceeds that of uh, Johns Hopkins by far. Just point blank. What was harder? That's actually a good question. So in my experience, because of the truncated nature of the program I was in, uh, both at McCombs, um, that probably made it a little bit harder. Um, and it was also because while I've always been working full-time going to school, it was something that uh, really focused me on what I was trying to do and what I was trying to get done. And because we were going to look at starting a business coming out of school, it made it all that much more real. You know, what you get out of education is what you put in. Uh, and when it came to my time at McCombs, I put in probably, uh, to be honest with you, a lot, lot more than I put in at, during my times at Johns Hopkins. As you're uh, growing your business, how um, receptive has healthcare been to you, what you're trying to do? So, you know, the funny thing that we get inside of healthcare is we actually get a, a very good reception when we go to hospitals, when we talk to doctors, when we talk to clinics, because they understand the difficulties that they're having. It's actually when we go outside of healthcare, whether it's going to VCs, raising money from angels, that we get a little bit of a pushback. And it's because we've done such a great job uh, in society and medicine of assuming that everything lives inside of your medical record, your electronic health record. Um, we set up all these exchanges and we've really, we've really positioned these as the be all and end all. When in reality, you can know in your electronic health record that your blood pressure was 120 over 80. However, all the processes that it took to get you to that point, we don't know. Or we can know discharge times in hospitals for women who uh, gave birth, perfectly natural births and, and, and beautiful babies. We can know the average length of stay based on the electronic health record. Um, however, we can't tell the differences of why um, there are operational differences. Why does one clinic have a longer length of stay than the other? And during one of our pilots, as simply as it is, we found that one of the root causes of differentiation between length of stays was due to the number of social workers supporting the different clinics because they come at the very end of the discharge process. And you can imagine uh, if one or two of them call out sick, get in a car accident, natural things that happen in the daily business, that can have an adverse effect on length of stays. Uh, and because of that, we were able to save 
hospitals um, a couple thousand dollars a month just on uh, discharge times alone just for two clinics. Now, you brought up a good point where, you know, doctors, they're not taught how to run a business. How come they like, don't do that? Like, you know, medical school, minor business, that's something they, they just don't think about or that's one thing, no, I, I, that's one thing I always wanted myself, you know. You know, what's interesting is I've been talking with uh, professors at Dell. We actually have uh, an individual at the Dell Medical School on our advisory board, and we've talked to them a little bit about why it is that the, the business of medicine isn't necessarily taught. And I think it harkens back to, to two main things. The first, and it's, it's um, anecdotal at best, in my opinion, is that there are people who get into business because they really get excited by business, right? Yeah. They, they, they read, uh, you know, Michael Porter, and they get excited by SWOT analysis. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Right, exactly. And then, and then there are people who that, that is not what they want to do every day. And I believe that most doctors uh, and nurses and PAs really fall into that idea of, I just want to practice medicine. Uh, that is that is the supreme art of taking care of people. Um, when it comes to the actual business of medicine, we have to really remember that it wasn't too long ago that doctors would readily accept um, goods and kinds. So there are still doctors in places in North Dakota and other places where you know somebody comes in for a cold or for uh, a checkup that the doctor can do themselves, and they pay this individual with uh, you know baked goods. Yeah. Um, that still that still rarely happens. And so it's it's this idea that medicine as being practiced as a business hasn't been very successful. And the last part about that, which really ties into the second part, is Americans in general are used to eating steak and lobster every day, but only paying for McDonald's hamburgers. Yep, the American way. Right, exactly. And and with medicine, that has an adverse effect on the market and how consumers actually interact with the product. So Joshua, talk to us about a time you've been successful in the past, what you learned from the success and what we can learn from that success that you've had in the past. You know, uh, it wasn't, too long ago that I was uh, working in the federal government as a, as a leading tasks in a presidential major initiative. And one of the things that you learn really quickly in Washington, D.C., uh, and probably in life in general, is that it doesn't necessarily matter if a individual, even a president, is telling a whole bunch of people he or she wants to get something done um, because the organizations will find a lot of reasons not to do what needs to be done. And one of the things that would always frustrate me at the time was the negotiation process and the compromise process, right? I'm very much a goal-oriented, mission-focused individual. And so when other people aren't necessarily, it's difficult to come to a compromise to get things done. However, one of the best books I ever read in this actually in business school was Getting to Yes. And it was the idea that you don't negotiate on personalities, you, you negotiate on, on points, right? And yes. you have to come to this big belief that the individuals you're negotiating with, they have the best intentions. And I think that's a lot of times when we get into the heat of the moment, we forget that the person you know sitting uh, across from me, they have their own, they have their own reasons, but in their mind, what they're trying to do hopefully is the best by the customer, the best by in this case members of uh, service members and, and and veterans and their families. They're trying to do the best. They just they just see it from a different viewpoint. And I think in general, um, if we take that approach in business, we'll find that we're going to get into a lot less arguments and a lot less uh, you know lose win type of, of negotiations. And probably in life and probably today, that's one of the biggest things to remember is that we're all trying to come to the right answer. It's just we're coming from different angles. That's a very good point. So next, talk to us about a time that you failed in your past and what you learned from this failure and what we can learn from this failure. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think most of the, the, the best things to learn are from actually failures, right? And in my book, it was when I realized that uh, sometimes burning a whole village down to get to where you want to go wasn't the best way. <laughs> uh, 
And I, you know, it's one thing, A, that I still still fight against. We all have our natural tendencies. And that's, I think, the first lesson is to, to know your negotiating style, know what motivates you in life, and then figure out how to work around people who don't have the same motivations, don't have the same way of negotiating, don't have the same way of perceiving things. And so for me, my, my biggest lesson was I was in this very, very heated project and things were not working out properly. Uh, and I was told to go in and fix it. And so I love it like a bowl in the china shop. I started putting things in order, fixing it, and people were getting their egos bruised. And because of that, efficiency started just decreasing. People do a little bit less. And I remember I was sitting at a table one day in a conference room on a conference call, and I just wanted to reach through the phone and get them to do exactly what I needed them to get them to do. Right? I knew exactly where they were going. All this conversation was pointless. We had to get to where we needed to go. Um, and before I could touch the, the, the unmute button, one of the consultants who worked with me put his hand over top of it. And he said, Josh, just stop. They're going to get to exactly where you need them to be. They just need to get there themselves. And that's where I, I talked to him. I looked at him. I go, so I just need to be a smiling Socratic ninja. I needed to ask a question to get them to where I wanted to be, but I couldn't force them there. And so my failures have been when I've tried to force people to get to where I want them to go and it's burning down the village. And so what I learned from that is really sometimes the best way to get somebody to where they want to be is for them to realize that's where they wanted to be to begin with. Uh, so, so that's just, something that's to be patient and forget themselves then, huh? Well, exactly. And, and, and I think there, there is, you know, uh, Theodore Warhol's vote has a really great quote that, that is applicable to this as well. It's that walk softly, but carry a big, uh, yeah. carry a big stick, you know, or speak softly and carry a big stick. And in business, that's a little bit sometimes the same way, right? I mean, so the reality is, is, is if, you can, if you can speak softly and get people to go where you want them to go, phenomenal. But sometimes there has to be the stick in the current there. Sometimes they have to know that, you know, it's not your intention or your desire to burn down a whole entire village. However, if eventually that village doesn't move, right, eventually if people don't change, uh, that village is going to be burned down and people are going to be fired. Um, and so, you know, you have to be able to walk that line very carefully. Yes. I think it's a challenge, too, is oftentimes we know how to do it better than them and we know how to do it. So we want them to do it our way, but we have to be learn to be patient and let them figure it out. It might be, you know, take it long in the short term and the long run is going to be better for both of us because less you have to do and they can do on their own. So, but I had to learn the lesson myself as well. Yeah, it's, a, it's a very hard lesson to, you know, it's a very hard lesson for people to learn, especially individuals who willingly put themselves into leadership roles. Uh, and I think you can see that from the youngest ages of, of children on the playground, right? When, when there's a game to be had, who steps up and starts ordering people around to get them in line? Yeah. Uh, and I think those same kids that end up doing that for themselves are the same kids who start, you know, being product managers and project managers, starting companies and, and going forward. You know, so it's sometimes hard for them to realize, uh, stake a step back and people can put themselves in line by themselves. That's a, that's a very good point you bring up. So um, next, none of us get wrapped by ourselves. Next, I want to talk about someone who's helped you out in the past and, they, and how they helped you. Sure. You know. I completely agree that, that nobody, none of us get to where we, we want to go by ourselves. And I also think some of where we want to go is based on luck, right? So it's the idea that uh, an opportunity comes up and we've prepared ourselves to be ready to take full advantage of that opportunity. Funny enough, I think there was, there's two individuals who were some of the biggest helps in my career after the military. First, I used to work at Oracle and I used to work for the senior vice president of business development for North America, a gentleman by the name of uh, Bud Langston, Admiral Bud Langston. And one of the things he told me uh, was that, uh, Josh, you know, you're going to have a great career, but right now you don't have all the tools in your toolkit. And I got pretty frustrated when, when he said that, but he was right. And it was one of these things that set me on a path forward before I did a lot of things of getting those tools in the toolkit. 
going to Johns Hopkins, um, getting certifications and really, really prepping myself so that when I took some of the initial steps that I did to, to form not just Health App, but other businesses in the past, that made me a success. And the next one is a, is a woman named Brenda Neva, who was a partner, I believe, at the time at Booz Allen Hamilton. And I had no intention of actually going to business school. I actually had every intention of, <laughs> of going to law school at the time. I hadn't been accepted. And uh, she convinced me to come on over to Booz Allen. And funny enough, it was me saying I didn't want to come work for her, that uh, it was really I didn't want to come down to work for uh, down in Norfolk, Virginia Beach, Virginia, um, was one of the things where she connected me with individuals up in D.C. And from there, started my, my career after Oracle uh, in high research, high development, consulting, um, that kind of stuff. So it was really what propelled me from one place to the other. So in general, those were the two people who really gave, gave my career, uh, you know, a kick in the butt. So I know with you, John Hopkins and Remick Holmes, Oracle, starting on business, no one can deny that you're not a very driven person and focused. You're, you're doing a lot of great things. That's very impressive. Well, thank you. So um, how does a potential customer of Health Hat find you? I mean, how does that happen? So there's, there's, there's two big ways to find us. There's the first, which is www.health-hat.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H hyphen H-A-T dot com. And the other one is on Twitter. You can follow us at Real Health Hat and you'll be able to come see us. So that's exactly how they can reach us and we respond very quickly. Um, and if there's anybody who is interested in learning a little bit more about healthcare, learning a little bit more about software and even what we do, we're always willing to, to chat and talk with people. And for our listeners, we'll have all those links on our show notes. And our show notes will be at www.cadmusatr.com. So we'll have the links to his business, his Twitter, all his social media on there for you. So, uh, Josh, we're about to come to the end of, the, of our talk. Anything else you'd like to talk about? or You know, I, I, I honestly think um, that is, it's something important for people to, to put themselves out there. So, uh, Jason, you and I met on LinkedIn during, during commenting sections. Um, because we share natural demographics and affiliation groups. And so I think for the vast majority of people, whether whether you're starting a business, whether you're trying to figure out what school you want to go to, whether you're just trying to find a career, um, one of the key things you can do is actually put yourselves out there and you just never know what's going to come of it. But you know nothing will come of it if you don't ever put yourself out there. Yeah, like once I think somebody said, uh, things were green. somebody said, uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Amen to that. And my thing, like, you know, since doing the startup world, I mean, everybody, everybody wants to help, you know, I think like nine, 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 100 people will want to help. One's going to be a troll and be a jerk. You know, you just got to, you know, push them aside, but everyone's going to want to help you out as much as you succeed. When you got to know your own value in, in the startup, right? I mean, you're going to be told, I've been told no more times than, than, than I can count, right? And I've been told uh, on different companies I've done, this is a bad idea or this is not a good idea. And they, they turn out because of hard work and taking feedback. Uh, and changing a little bit, pivoting here, pivoting there to be, to be great ideas, great companies. So, you know, you got to have a, a thick skin, but you also have to believe in what you're doing because becoming an entrepreneur, starting a business, changing careers, that's a huge, huge step. And so if you're not certain, you're not going to overcome the failure. And you're absolutely right. Yeah, you definitely got to be confident in your abilities and, and have to trust that you know what you're doing because there are going to be naysayers out there, you know. There's going to be, you know, especially tr- truly trying to disrupt an industry. Like, you know, like Uber, for instance, they just with taxis, you know, all the taxis, all this is going to work and look, look for happy, you know, Airbnb. Exactly. I mean, look at all the people who, who passed on, uh, you know, if you ever, if you're starting a company, if you ever want to feel better about yourself, uh, just, just take a list of all the people who say no to you so that, you know, you can remind yourself when you get the yes and when you get to where you want to go, who said you wouldn't get there along the way. And it's not a, you know, go rub it in the face thing. It's, it's a, Remember that because the next time you want to do something, the next time you think you truly believe in yourself, uh, it's a reminder that 4,500 people said no, 
10 people said yes. And those 10, those 10 people were the right people. Yes. And you only need one good yes, you know, to get you in the right path. Well, that's, I mean, that's part of the luck, right? That's, that's part of the, you know, you, it's a lot of, it's, it's almost in some respects a little bit like combat. Combat is 90% of the time you're deadly bored and, and 10% of the time you might be dead. And so exactly. really that's the same way in startups. You, you spend a lot of time working, perfecting a pitch, perfecting uh, decks, perfecting marketing, talking with people, and only 10% of your time really is the deciding factors. And a lot of times it's a roll of the dice. Who's going to be meeting, who you shake hands with, who loses your business card. You just got to realize that. Yep. I mean, you could be, somebody might want to do a meeting with you and you're too tired so you cancel it, but that could have been the meeting that would I let to another meeting that would be, you know, your, what really snowballed everything for you. I mean, just, you never know. Well, I, so, you know, funny enough, I was, I was going in to see uh, my ENT doctor and I, I had, was coming from some meetings and I had my health hat t-shirt on. And so he's literally sticking a tube down my nose to go look at my throat and he stopped and goes, what's health hat? And so I started talking with him and, and sure enough, you know, that led to demos and a sales opportunity. And that was quite, quite legitimately. I was just going to a doctor's office and uh, somebody was interested, which is important for entrepreneurs to realize is that there is something about shameless marketing that is important in the startup world. That's one thing I'm working on to being a better salesman. I mean, you got to sell every minute of the day. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, 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 look, it's, it's really a hundred percent at the end of the day. Uh, I mean, I'll be frank, if, if my lighting was any better and I could do up lighting, I'd be wearing a health hat uh, <laughs> right now, you know, a health hat, yeah. hat because that's, that's really what you have to do. Because part of being a startup, part of being in the community, part of getting your product out there is you need to be on the top of mind. So startups in very many cases, especially before they go national, are local affairs. And so if you're in Austin, if you're in San Diego, Boston, New York City, if you're doing, in my case, healthcare efficiency, you need to be the best one out there. You need to be the first company that people think about. Otherwise, you're going to lose that top of mind brain. Uh, And when they go and they look at people to either provide business to connect with VCs, connect with angels, um, or connect you with talent, you're not going to be the top tier and you may just fall off completely and be forgotten. That's very One thing like the media now, you know, right now in the media, entrepreneurship starts as a hot, sexy thing. You know, there's like, I think there's, there's a show on HBO. There's, you know, they show, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, all these people. They don't never show the unsexy part, you know, like, you know, you're doing a pitch deck at one in the morning or you taking a call or you just doing this and doing that and meetings. Oh, right. They don't know show that, you know. Well, you know, and, and you have a, a huge amount of workspaces which capitalize on, on this entrepreneurship dream, right? They sell $300, $400 a month hot desks and nobody really does the, the cost benefit and analysis of what am I really getting out for $300? You know, if I spend $300, I better be getting $600 worth of value out of that yes. organization. And a lot of people don't realize that's what it really takes to be an entrepreneur. People don't realize that, you know, we all have to eat. So if you have to work a part-time job or maybe in a full-time job while you're getting your startup to be a reality, that's one thing. But if that's the case, you're working 60 to 80 hours a week. And really the reality is, is, you know, you can only do so many different things. And so some of the things you have to let slip, family, life, friends, enjoyment, uh, and some of the other things you, you, you just have to fully bore yourself into and realize uh, it's going to end one or two ways, right? It's either going to end with success and you can kind of ramp down a little bit, or it's going to end in failure and you have a whole bunch of time to sit back, relax, get a martini, sit on the beach and uh, figure out your next move. Yes, I think I've heard some more that entrepreneurs work hard now so they don't have to later on or something like something like that. Well, I mean, you know, that's, that's one of my biggest beliefs too is that, you know, there's a lot of people who go out there and they spend all their money all day and it's really the traditional, you know, the ant and the grasshopper story where the ants worked all during summer and the grasshopper went around uh, and when it turned out to be, you know, so the grasshopper, I know where to go and the ants saved, um, saved that's, it. That's a good analogy. 
And it's the same thing in, in business, the same thing in life, right? I mean, the reality is, is there's, there's a lot of individuals who uh, I started with uh, early, early in my career who, you know, they got done with work, they spent their eight hours a day, and then they went to a bar. And they've done that now for over a decade and a half while I would spend my, my 10 hours at work, and then I would go to school, uh, or I'd get a certification, or I'd do something else. And you can tell, I think, near, you know, midterm careers and later on, who's really, who's really, really put in the work uh, and also has been successful and, and a little bit lucky and who really hasn't put in a lot of work and it's just, just coasted. Or somebody works nine to five, they're on three softball teams, two other exactly. social groups, you know, they watch every, every episode of, you know, Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. And then they're looking at like, why am I where I'm at? And and, and, you know, and I think that's a major thing, right? If, if that's what you want and like, you know, so I'm a big believer that I am what my, what I believe success in life is and what I strive for. But, you know, if being on three, you know, softball teams and watching Game of Thrones every, well, I gotta say, I do watch Game of Thrones every weekend. It's hard not to. Uh, <laughs> once again, my, my, my goal in life on every Sunday is to get all my work done. So come, you know, eight o'clock Texas time, I can, uh, I can actually watch Game of Thrones with everybody else. So nobody ruins it, but that's, that's my goal. And so if, somebody doesn't have that goal, then, you know, that's fine. But, but, you know, but greed is a, greed is really a, you know, a devil, you know, don't, don't be greedy for something you actually didn't work for yourself. And that's, you know, that's kind of the reality. And you're right. I think certain shows really show entrepreneurship in this great light. Sometimes the best stories you're going to have are from people who were kind of successful. I remember we had this one individual come in to our, um, our class because we had speakers almost every, every week and he had been, been successful been widely successful, but he'd been running his business for seven years and he was just at a point where he's too big to be bought out by most companies. And so he just wanted somebody to buy it. He just wanted to get done with it. All, all of us would really want to be, but he was, I just want to be done. And so, you know, success is really what we make of it. So here's another question for you. So as a startup entrepreneur, there's all these resources out there, you know, some are free, some cost money. I mean, there's like literally thousands of them, you know, I get emails all the time. Yep. How, how do you, from your personal vantage point, how do you go through all that clutter and information overload and decide what's best for you? So I actually have in, in my office, a Kibana board, a board that I can take a look at and I can see these are the main things that matter to me in life. These are the goals, tasks, successes that I need to achieve, get to where I want to be in a company. And anything that doesn't jive with that falls to the side. So for me, it's really taking a look and being laser focused on what you want to get done and letting the rest fall aside. The other part, the guiding light for me also is equity is, is very, very expensive to own and very cheap to sell. And so you're going to have a lot of people come to you and say, come to my accelerator, come to my program, and I will get you ready for series A, a, a financing 15 months, but I'm going to get 6% of your company. Well, the first question you need to ask them is, you know, A, what is your success rate? B, what do you think the valuation is going to be? And C, primarily, you know, money is valuable to people who don't have money, but it's not as valuable as access and information and the right people. So on your advisory board and others. So, you know, really for me, it comes down to the idea of, you got to be laser focused. You got to balance. And then you got to realize, you got to sniff out a bad deal, not fall into the hype that you feel great that somebody's going to, you know, give you $50,000 for 6% of your company. And then my question was, you know, after this accelerator, like a year from now, what do I, are you still going to be, you know, advising me, helping me up with your 6% or you just expect to collect on it? What's, you know, what's the deal after that? Exactly. Well, exactly. And a lot of them just think they're going to collect on it, right? So, you know, they have an incentive for you to grow in value and to get bought out and, and do that kind of stuff. But in general, they're, they're you know, once, once you're done, you're, you're, you're done, you know, and the other part about it, depending upon uh, whether or not you're a veteran, I am, um, whether or not, you know, 
alumni associations or whatever, there's, there's a lot of free resources out there that you can stretch a dollar with. Um, you got to be willing to give back. It's not always free. You got to do some volunteer work. But in general, every dollar you can save is worth a couple dollars uh, when it comes to actually your time bringing people in, doing fundraising, or even just working and then going back and doing uh, your startup. So great advice on anything that's offered. Yeah, so we're coming to the end. I want to thank you very much for your time. I know you're a busy person. Got a lot going on. Uh, enjoy that Texas weather. Enjoy that Texas barbecue. Yeah, definitely. I, I appreciate it taking this time uh, to talk with you, Jason. Yes, to our listeners, thank you for your time too. Really appreciate it. And uh, remember to be great every day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Cadmus HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit CadmusHR.com or connect to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Cadmus HR or Jason Cadmus HR on Snapchat. Thanks again, and be great every day.